Good morning, Centerville Church. Blessings from Redeemer Church in Winterset. Uh, if you're not familiar, as I'm sure most of you are, but we are a church plant that got its start right here in, uh, from this congregation, and we're just super thankful. God has been doing awesome things in Winterset. We continue just to grow. Two weeks ago, we had our uh, outdoor service at the land that we bought. We're hoping that, Lord willing, next year about this time, we can begin our construction progress or process. So we're excited about that. We had VBS this week, so it was a busy week. My daughter's getting married next week. My, my oldest daughter, she's here today, so that's exciting. So lots happening uh, for me and, and at Redeemer Church. But I do want to say thank you. Um, this church, what's happened in Winterset wouldn't happen if it wasn't for this church's heartbeat and what they're about and, and wanting to see gospel-centered churches plant other gospel-centered churches, your financial giving, but your encouragement, and specifically from your pastor, who not is just an acquaintance. Uh, he is a spiritual father to me. I lean upon him, not just on a monthly basis, on a weekly, sometimes a daily basis, so I'm very thankful. Uh, he has given me the topic and it was mean of him, but submission to government. And it's just to totally Pat's thing to do to me. You know, I think maybe because we're both wrestlers and he thought he could pick on me that way. So submission to government. That's what we're talking about this morning. Let's get right into God's word. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Uh, this is going to be fun. Let's get after it. Let every person, the word of God, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no governing authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For there are, uh, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God. Attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, and respect to who respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray. King Jesus, we thank you for your words. Father, now we'd ask God that you would uh, help us to, as the people of God, or as, as uh, maybe we're coming in as unbelievers, God, we, help, we understand this is God's word to mankind. This is God's revelation. So we submit and put ourselves underneath it. We'd ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do what only you do. That is to pierce in the deepest recesses of our hearts and minds, God, and to places only you know. And you would convict us, God, of the truths. Uh, that we would, you would cause our hearts to turn away from doing it our way and from our own sinful nature and turn in a, in a loving submission in this morning, submission to government, God, with joy. Would you do that work in our hearts? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, yeah, this is not a topic for the faint of heart, and especially if you're from where I'm from. And Winterset, you might not think of Winterset as an eclectic group, but it, it really is. And I like to make these designations, and I make fun of people a lot from the pulpit, but if you're south of 92, 
uh, a picture, have a, an image of Duck Dynasty, okay? That's the truth. I mean, that's 100%. And my family's back there. They're shaking their heads. I visited a house here just the other day. You have to have a four-wheel drive vehicle to get into to their house. And uh, the sign on the front, and it's not a little sign. It's a big sign that says, I don't call 911, or we don't call 911. And they mean that. Uh, yet north of 92, Highway 92 in, in Winterset here, you have this kind of uh, growing aristocratic crowd. Uh, they're moving in from the suburbs and from the uh, urban areas, and uh, they're moving to the country to have their five acres in a pond. And they consider themselves farmers because they got some chickens, and, uh, but they're really not too fond of John Wayne. And those are all people in our congregation. It's kind of fun for me because it's a great way to make fun of people. Now, this is an important topic because unless you have been living in a hole, Christians are increasingly experiencing over the last, uh, the fruit of what has been going on in our culture for many decades. That is an indoctrination of a post-Christian worldview. A worldview that has left them very confused, although they don't know that, because if you're a young person here today, and I know a lot of our young people are gone, but uh, maybe you're in high school or middle school or whatever, college, but you enter the biology classroom, and you're basically told that your life is meaningless, that you are the cause of random time plus chance of stardust kind of banging together, and voila, you exist but your life is meaningless. And then you leave that classroom and go down the hall to the psychology class where you're being told that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, uh, and so it's no wonder that we live in a confused culture, a culture now that calls what God calls uh, bad, calls it good. And what God calls good, they call bad. This is a result of this worldview shift. We're all aware of it. And yet, uh, for the first time because of this uh, in our existence, the 200 plus years that America has been around, uh, many of us uh, are feeling the pressure of the freedoms that we've known as Christians and as churches are being called and challenged. Uh, the pandemic that we all experienced uh, exposed what was, has already been brewing for a long time. And that is just how far... Uh, this culture has fallen away from the Judeo-Christian worldview it was founded in. Now, my goal here this morning is to be both practical and pastoral. Pastoral in the reality that uh, in my experience is that these conversations about submission to government are not just annual things anymore for me, but in fact, more than almost weekly conversations, I'm having people uh, in my office or, or just in discussion about the pressures that they're facing from governmental rules. I, I, I just think about two uh, men that are work for the government that are uh, being faced with some of the realities that are pressuring them of what uh, I didn't know what this was but a DEI officer and some of the new things that they're being asked to sign off on, I thought he said DEA officer. And I'm like, are you doing drugs or is, there dr is this drug testing? No, this is diversity, equity, and inclusion. I've never, I hadn't heard of this before. And, and these are real issues. I mean, they're like, do I have to leave my job here? I mean, what am I going to do? How am I going to feed my family? I think about a teacher that I recently uh, uh, talked with being asked, like, can I, can I teach this book? She gave me the book and asked me to read it. And it's like, can I do this? I mean, if not, I'm going to have to quit my job. These are serious issues. We need to shepherd into them as, as pastors. And so that's one goal, but also to be practical because 
when you come to a text like Romans 13, and with every verse, I don't know if you're me, but I, I'm, I'm a skeptic, and I, ask, I like to ask a lot of questions and always look for the, the loophole, but this, this text creates a lot of questions. I mean, if we tried to run down all the bunny trails uh, of, that this, this text alone creates, I mean, we could, be, we could preach sermons on this for months and months and going down all these different rabbit holes of questions that would come up from this, but we don't have time for that. So my goal this morning is to be very practical in giving you wisdom, godly wisdom, a framework of wisdom that's grown from rich and deep theology, because this is what the series is about, theology on fire, but a practical theology that you can take into the, around the water coolers of your office place, uh, around uh, the dinner table of your families. I hope that you're talking to your young people about these things and, 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 and discussing them. That's super important. But topical preaching like this is dangerous because I can take a text like Romans 13 and I can make it say anything I want, really. Uh, and so, and it, that is especially true of this text, Romans 13. To take on Romans 13 without diving pretty deep into the context of it would be like trying to talk about the cross without an understanding of sin. And so many of my points, in fact, the first three points come from context. But before we get to the points, let's just have an honest examination now of our own hearts. How does your heart respond to this command from God's word to submit to the government. If you're like me, a kind of a natural rebellious person, <laughs> many of you, it's kind of weird coming to Saderville because I grew up not far from here, uh, a few miles down that way, and uh, it wasn't a good experience for me growing up. I was anything but Christian, and many of you know those realities. In fact, you might have been in uh, on the wrong end of some of my culprating. So, uh, but, but if you're a rebel like me, I look at this, I say, I'm not obeying the government. I mean, that's my inclination of my heart. Nobody's going to force me to do this or that and the other thing. I'm an American, right? <clears throat> or if you're more compliant, you may be here going, man, I wish my God bless America friend was here to hear this, right? But here's the, my prayer. And I, and I, hear me, I am no prophet. I'm not bringing a prophetic word here. But I think without a doubt, what we experienced in the pandemic was just a tremor for what if the culture doesn't change course, and I pray that it does, for what is coming for Christians and for the church. And if we're not prepared, then we will get ran over. There is a reason why if you go to Europe today, they're, they're, most of the churches are museums. And that was because they failed to understand and recognize and prepare and to speak into the culture uh, with, with, a, with a gospel message. And, and, and they're seeing the results of it. Let that not be true of us. Let's this morning build a foundation of wisdom and knowledge that, that is built upon the cross of Jesus Christ that helps us to, to be obedient uh, in this world. So that's where we're headed. Uh, that's the challenge. But uh, point one, we have six if we have time to get there. 
First, submit to being a living sacrifice. And again, in the way of context, Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, to, to, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this may seem a strange place to start, but it's absolutely necessary to start here, lest we would be like so many people in the community. And you may be here, and you may not be a Christian this morning. So many people that in Winterset, in, in our nice, good old, kind of a good old boy America, believe that they're Christians, like I used to uh, 30 years ago, that I'm a Christian just because I'm an American and I'm a good person, which I wasn't, but that's what I believed. And most of the doors that we knock on and people we talk to, that's their basis for their relationship with God. But nothing could be further of the truth. The gospel message is a message that we must be born again. You may be a good American and still be under the wrath of God. We are born, friends, rebels. Our biggest problem in this world is not that we lack education, as our world tells us, this new worldview, not that we lack material resources or that we lack self-esteem. My biggest problem is my heart, my heart is full of pride, and I think I know best. I know better than God. It's called sin. And as a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, you must come to the reality that this doing it your own way, this following your own heart that the, that the culture, te- culture tells us is so important, actually leads us to the pit of hell. It leads us to empty, hopeless, empty paths that lead to our destruction. My heart will lead me away from God and God's purposes. I, I, I'm not looking to bring glory to Jesus Christ in my life because of sin. And what I need is not cleaned up. What I need is a new start, a new life. Now, again, I've been to jail a few times, and, and there comes that point when, you, uh, when you're in the jail cell or before a judge where you kind of realize, like, man, I wish I could just rewind the last 24 hours. But I can't. I, and I may have been a good person, but I broke a law, and I am standing before the judge, and the judgment is going to come down, and I deserve that. Friends, that is exactly the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not that we, God cleans us up, but that he gives us a new life, a new start. Amen. And he did that by sending his son, Jesus Christ. This is no fairy tale. This, is, this happened in time and place and reality. God's son came and walked on the earth. A perfect man, a perfect person, sinless in every way. In every uh, jot and tittle of the law, he was obedient to his father. And yet in that obedience, the world despised him and hated him. Hated him. But his life, uh, that didn't stop his trajectory. He was headed for the cross because his life was meant as a sacrificial offering that uh, on that cross, he purchased, he took my sin, my rebellion, and your sin too if you're born again. And if you haven't, I appeal to you that you need this. This is your problem. The weight of sin can be taken and put upon Jesus Christ because of the cross because he was an acceptable offering to God, my, my sins have not only just been, re, uh, you know, just I don't have to worry about them, they've been removed as far as the east is from the west. Past, present, future. Giving me new life in Jesus Christ. A new start, a new beginning, a new creation. 
That's theology on fire. I pray that you are passionate and excited about this. And this is where we must start. But it's not just about being forgiven. The cross tells, that's only half of the equation. The, thing, the, the cross also tells us that not only that I was forgiven and I experienced the love and grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ on that cross, but also that my life was purchased. There was an exchange. My sin in exchange for my life. My life to be lived for the glory of God. The purpose of the cross was to redeem my soul, your soul. And his plan is that in the cross, in our salvation, we were given the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit near enough. Well, we talk about a lot of Redeemer because it is the power of the Christian life. The Holy Spirit in this new life, in this, uh, this living for God, this life that's now God's and not mine, it has new desires and new hopes, most of which is that I want to live for God. I want to do it His way. I find joy, friends. I pray that you find joy in living for God. Instead of running for Him, We run to him because we love him because he first loved us. And our lives then begin to say to the world in our lives, this is the drumbeat, 1 Corinthians 6.20, that we were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This is where we must start, friends. Uh, This is the doctrine of propitiation. We were purchased and then our lives uh, become a sacrificial offering to God. And here's what's happened in my congregation to the glory of God. Several people in our congregation have, have come to this realization that before, uh, even in their Christianity, that they were more motivated by the blood spilt by their forefathers than the blood spilt by Jesus Christ. And they've awakened to the glory of Jesus. Not that that isn't important, and it is, but that the blood of Christ is the most precious thing in their life. Friends, Jesus put it plainly, if you love me, do you love Jesus? You will keep my commandments. And that's going to be important as we step into this hard subject of submitting to government. Number two, uh, submit from a spirit of unity. Romans 12, 16, again, contextually, we must go here. It says to live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. This is so important because one of the sad realities of COVID and of the pandemic was how uh, churches were divided because of mask wearing or vaccinations. This is disgusting to God. Friends, theologically, the New Testament doctrine of church unity is not a side issue. Jesus Christ spilled his blood on the cross for his church. Yes, it was for us individually, but it was for his church. Friends, his church and the local manifestation is to be a living testimony to the truths of God's word. Not a government, not a political party, the church. And it is the church that has been tasked with showing and demonstrating the things that we say we believe, like love and mercy and forgiveness and compassion. And it's the church that's been tasked by Jesus Christ with proclaiming the truth, fighting against evil, and fighting against Satan until the very end. Not a government, not a political party, the church. We seem to have gotten this backwards. 
I want you to think for a second about the early church. You read their story in Acts. They become Christians. They're kicked out of the synagogue. They're kicked out of the workplace, most likely. They're rejected by family and friends. And guess what? All they have is themselves and caring for each other. Do you think that church is going to split over mask wearing? I don't think so, friends. That's all they got. All they have is each other. And again, I'm no prophet, but we've had a lot of years of comfort and ease, and that has made us very lazy in this culture. But what is coming will not allow for laziness. We are going to need each other more and more. This is not a club. This is God's church. This is God's family. We must represent that. What a testimony it was to me. I was very encouraged. I've talked to other pastors and, and, and they were seeing churches split and I'm not, I'm boasting on the church, not uh, anything I did, but it was very encouraging to see the body work, overlook these decisions that people made. There were people staunch about mass and people that were they're against them, of course, right? And, and, and yet, They came together. What a beautiful picture in such a divided world. That's what we're supposed to do. I got to move on. Number three, submission allows good to overcome evil. Romans 12, 19, this is the immediate context and very important. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. So far doing, you will uh, heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, this is important because this is the immediate context. In other words, what Paul is going to do is answer the question here. how How do we overcome evil with good? How? Submit to the government. Pay your taxes. That's how we're going to do it. And so what is going on here theologically, I think what we need to understand here in context is that uh, we need to understand what's going on as, as the, the, first, the second point was written to the church about having unity and how important that is to the lost and outside world. This is about how we demonstrate how God actually saves people and our testimony and witness to an outside world. And what we need to understand theologically as Christians is that there are two kingdoms going on in this world. And the government is the place where those two things often intersect. There is the kingdom of man. And government has been given authority over the kingdom of man. We see this in the text. The government has authority. They have political power. They have military power. They have material resources and money. They have monetary power. But those powers have no power in the kingdom of God. In the vertical kingdom. But how quickly we forget that as Christians, don't we? We do. The word of God in Ephesians, you can go read it for yourself. Uh, Ephesians 6 tells us that we don't fight against flesh and blood. I'm not fighting against my neighbor who is on the other side of the political party as me. Those things don't, what I want from them is what I see is they're trapped in a spiritual battle. And I care more about them knowing Jesus Christ than I do how they're voting. 
And so we need to understand this spiritual battle for souls that's going on, and we understand that. And how souls are won, how God uses the people of God is often through injustices of this world, and God using us as Christians, overcoming those injustices by obeying God, and God's power shows up, and people are like, wow. We need only to look to the cross of Jesus Christ for this example. The greatest atrocity ever committed by a government was committed by Pontius Pilate and Herod the king, who as governmental leaders signed off on Jesus' death sentence, the son of God, the sinless man, God in the flesh. The cross looks like failure to outsiders. It looks like the powers of this world won, but that's not true. They're pawns. Pontius Pilate is a pawn only playing right into God's playbook, isn't he? That's what he, Acts tells us, Acts 4, 26 and 28. The kings of the earth set themselves, and rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That's amazing. God, these people were pawns in God's hand. Nothing, God wasn't biting his fingers at the cross at Pontius Pilate. He's not biting his fingers today when Washington, D.C. passes its laws and its, its rules. He's not biting his, his fingers at uh, China and Kim Jong and North Korea. No, they're only playing into the plan of God. Amen. And the injustice that we experience are opportunities for his power to be demonstrated in our lives. Oh, Americans, so unwilling to suffer in this world. We're so, we've had it so good for so long. We don't really, we just don't even like the idea. But we serve a, first a monarchy, King Jesus, then a democracy, secondarily. And in that, and I'm going to read you as I got to move on to the next point, but uh, of First uh, Peter 2, such an important verse. But remember, when he speaks this, Nero is the emperor, and Nero is lighting up Christians like candles, for, uh, like lawn ornaments in his, in, his, uh, in his castle. He's persecuting Christians. He says, uh, Peter says this, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Whoa, Nero? Servants, be subject to your masters with all respects, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, even the bad, bad ones. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it to when you sin and you're beaten for it and you endure? But what if when you do good and you suffer and you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. I love this verse right here. For to this you have been called. You hear that, Christians? Your calling in life is to suffer uh, and unjustly, and you do good in return. And then what happens is God's power works through this. Because Why? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. This is how he worked. This is how we work, that we might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But here's what he did. He kept, he had continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He kept trusting God. And so will we as we submit and be obedient to God in the government. 
Number four, uh, incline your hearts to submission. Uh, this is from Romans 13.1. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except for God and those who have existed have been instituted by God. Now, how do I overcome, uh, again, evil with good? By being obedient, by submitting to the government. By paying taxes in particular. Here's what was happening. They heard this, uh, this submission to government, and the issue was paying taxes. They were having debates. Do we have to? Should we not pay taxes? Because these, these Romans, it's a lot like America. Rome was falling at this point. They were becoming a welfare state. They were suffering great immorality. So their tax dollars were going to unjust, pagan, bad causes, which we can relate to. And also, they were going to persecute Christians. Why would I give them my money? Well, I don't need to ask those questions. I don't need to pray about it. I just need to do it. Because God said do it. So Paul isn't letting anybody off the hook. He's not saying pray about it or talk about it. He's saying do it. Pay your taxes. God has placed these people in his sovereignty. That's the theology on fire. The sovereignty of God. And all through the through the, the biblical history and all through history, God uses governments again for his purposes. I would encourage you to read the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is saying, God, would you please help us? Come down and help Israel. And, and God responds, I'm going to do a work in your time. You would not even, if you knew it, you would, you would be like, wow. And Habakkuk's like, all right, Lord. What was his answer? He sends the Chaldeans, which makes our government look like cupcakes, right, and roses, uh, and, and, and they're going to come and wipe you out and take you away to another land. And that was God's answer. And friends, here it is. Uh, consider Jesus' attitude and answer to Pontius Pilate, who Pontius Pilate was trying to give Jesus an out, and Jesus answers, you would have no authority over me, have no authority over me at all unless it had been given from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Friends, uh, our hearts as Christians, we have to fight for this because we're rebels like by nature, is to incline towards submitting to God, submitting to his commands, submitting to the government in this case, that we would be, we would fight for this heart like the psalmist says, in your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep your testimonies of your mouth. Friends, I'm not a mask wearer. I, I was very staunchly, I didn't like it. I don't like it for a lot of different reasons, but I found joy, personally, putting it on, knowing that I was, I was not only submitting in a lot of ways, but I was thinking about other people. It wasn't about me and my desires. Uh, that is my person. I, I found joy in obeying God. I was obeying God through that command. I have to move on. Uh, the la- number five, submit to God with fearful humility. I'm not going to read the verses, but these verses very clearly tell us that, that the purpose of government. It's to um, institute a civil authority so that we don't have a mob rule. God has placed government in place so that things aren't complete chaos. That's the purpose that you find there. And you might say, really? What about North Korea? 
I mean, what a mess. I mean, Kim Jong, that's an evil man. Even in North Korea, friends, if you look at it, there are still some basic laws of, that allow for a civil society. There are laws against murder. There are laws against stealing. All the Ten Commandments are essentially there. Uh, not all of them, because they don't want to honor God, of course, but their own God. But they're there. That's God's purpose. But his point in saying this to us and the practical application is that we need to be very careful about how we approach government, our attitudes. Christians are not troublemakers. Christians are not people who are trying to stir the pot. It drives me crazy when people in my congregation, when they blast and, and tear down the governmental people that are there, the president or whoever, the governor, I don't know, and they tear them down. You're not listening to Romans. It says you've got to respect these people. And plus, they've just written off half the people in their neighborhood from ever coming to Redeemer Church. It drives me crazy. I want them to know Jesus, not to vote the way I want them to vote. Friends, what we're saying here is that when Christians, we, when we, we should get involved in government. And we should be a part of the process. Absolutely. But we do that with civil, civic with humility, with dignity, respect, with, with reasonableness. I, I have example, I mean, in my own personal life, I, as a CPA, I deal with the IRS all the time. And I li listen to these accountants. They're yelling at them all the time. Look, at, I, I have, if you're just nice to those guys... It's amazing what you could get accomplished. And Christians all the time, they want to fight and have this attitude like, I'm, you're not telling me. If you just talk to people and are reasonable with them. Now, it may not work out, but I've represented Jesus Christ and I've obeyed his word. Titus 3, 1 and 2 says, remind them to be submissive to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Now, I have to wrap up. My last point is actually probably the point where you're right, why you're really here. And that is, what you really want to know is, when do I get to disobey? And I'm not going to be able to jump into that, and I'm kind of thankful for that, but here's what I'd say. Number one reason is, it's very clear, when God, when, when, when the government tells us to do something that is in direct contradiction to, the, to God's word. If the government tried to tell me I can't preach from certain sections of the Bible like they do in some places, I would have to disobey that, and I would be very pleased to go to jail for that. I wouldn't like it, but I would be with joy do it. We should. And then the other case is when the injustices grow. Maybe they're not a direct commandment, but the injustices grow so heavy and so deep, like rules and laws back in the 60s said you couldn't march in the streets for civil rights. Like it just became such a flashpoint thing. The injustice was so bad that you had to do something about it. And conviction was so strong. But friends, these are last-ditch effort things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, help us incline our hearts to be obedient. Help us not to trust our own hearts, but your word. Our, we will be led astray. Uh, God, when, when things get tough, and it will as government, help us to trust your purposes. Help us to believe the promises that good overcomes evil through the power of the gospel working in and through us as the church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>